Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We are so excited to have Jessica Strong with us today. And Jessica, thanks for joining us on Spirituality Adventures. Really happy to be here, Fred. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so for those of you who have been uh, regular listeners, um, if you heard the interview that I did with Jimmy Bratcher, which we just released, I think, maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, this is this is the uh, this is this is the other side of the story, right? So this is this is the little girl that wins. <laughs> in the book and the story and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I I had uh, I'd reached out to Jessica and asked if she would be willing to come and share uh, her story with us. And so if you're listening to this and you didn't hear the Jimmy Bratcher story, be sure and uh, listen all the way to the end of this one, and then go back and pick up the Jimmy Bratcher story, and you'll hear, hear these two stories and how they. Uh, have uh, come together. So let's start just with, you know, where you grew up, Jessica, and um, kind of your your story in the early days of your life. Yeah. So I grew up in Liberty. My dad and I share a hometown. Um, back then, it was maybe 5,000 people in the whole town. So it wasn't super huge, but not small by Missouri standards. Um I'm single mom my, or my mom was a single mom. There was four of us and um, we lived with my grandparents off and on a lot and um, moved around a lot. Didn't really stabilize much um, until I went in the military. I've actually where I'm at now outside of Washington, D.C. as the longest I've ever lived in a house. We've been here for 15 years in this house. Um, so we were kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have three other siblings. I do. And, mm -hmm. um, Brothers and yeah. Um, and did, were they older or younger? One older, two younger. Okay. And did you go to Liberty high school? I did. Okay. Yes. I graduated from. Liberty, go Blue Jays, uh, class of 1990. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Liberty, Missouri. And were you involved in any uh, extracurricular activities while you were growing up? Yeah. I mean, I was in the, the, I'm a language nerd. So I was in the National Spanish Honor Society, but I was also on the Palm Squad, um, top 3% of my class. Like I was an, uh, an academic in a lot of ways. Um, and I was a dancer. So um, Liberty Rangerettes, if you've been around Liberty for a long time, I was a Rangerette for a long time. Very cool. So you were pretty, you were pretty academic and, and were you like, were you getting into trouble? Were you pretty good kid? Uh, what was going on there? So the academics and all the, all the extracurricular stuff was the front, right? because I lived with my grandparents in high school. And so I would walk out of the house looking like I was going to Sunday school. And by the time I got to the bus stop, I looked like I was going to an Aussie concert. <laughs> Cigarette and all, right? So like literally um, I've got a whole change of clothes in my bags. I'm putting on my, my super tight jeans and my black concert t-shirt and slathering on the black eyeliner with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth because wow. that's, it was a train wreck. Wow. Drinking, doing drugs, looking for love in all the wrong places, just doing whatever. When did that start? How young? Uh, 12, wow. 12, 13. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So you were living sometimes with your mom and sometimes with your grandparents. Is that, or was it? Um, around about 13, um, my older brother, we now know bipolar and schizophrenia and things like that. We didn't have a lot of those words back then. A lot of that stuff was starting to manifest and he was out of control. We were out of control. Um, and so we went to stay with my grandparents at that point. So I'm in the, uh, halfway through the seventh grade could drink Jack Daniels. Like it was water. Like I was, we wow. were in bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I am most of my listening audience knows this, but you know, I've been in the recovery, I've been working in the recovery community for a couple of years and it's, and it's just so fat. So I didn't have a long, I had an early drug usage deal when I was a teenager, like 14, 15, 16, kind of wreck the wreck drug world, but I was still an athlete. And then I came to Christ. And so then I didn't do drugs or alcohol or anything for, you know, and, and it wasn't my deal for decades. And then I, I was trying to deal with an insomnia problem. I went to a psychiatrist yeah. just five years ago and he put me on Xanax, which worked like a magic charm and then it wore off really fast. And then all of a sudden I was like stupidly adding shots in, trying to maintain the sleep that I was finally getting. And yeah. that Xanax alcohol combo got me in really bad trouble really fast and made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. And so, but so my story is a little bit rare. Like, you know, I, I had this really short problem drinking career that, caused me a, a whole lot of problems, right? Really fast. Yeah. But so many people that I've run into, I'm, I'm networked with a few hundred people now, probably 300 or more in the recovery world, all socioeconomic status kind of things, anywhere from doctors to, you know, people who are homeless. And, um, but so many started really, really young with their drinking yeah. careers. It's so interesting to me. Like you're going really that like some of them, like you're, like you're describing, it's not unusual to people start drinking when they're 10, 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Pretty. I mean, we were, we were, um, latchkey kids. Like that's not a term anybody uses anymore, but mom, I mean, she's a single mom. She's got to go to work. What do a bunch of kids do when they're on their own? Well, we'll figure stuff out. Right. So by the time I was 13, um, smoking weed, I tried cocaine, I was drinking whiskey. Whiskey was my favorite. Um, my older brother threatened me more than once, very with, with great violence, if I ever tried anything harder. So I would, go, I would try to go towards LSD or I would try to go back to the cocaine or whatever. And he was always standing in front of me going, this is not your path. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. He was very protective. Protective older brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if I had not gone into the military at the age of 20, it would have gotten worse. Right. Because at that point, when I left for boot camp, I had $50 a pack of smokes and the clothes in my bag. I had burned every relational bridge I had. My grandparents wouldn't let me back in. I'd been with my mom for a while and that wasn't good for me. Um, and it was just like, I got to go in the military or, or not. And I can look back now and say that was probably the first time that the Holy Spirit guided me that I knew it wasn't my decision, but it was a decision I needed to make. I walked into the recruiter's office and they moved heaven and earth and I left within three weeks. And at that time, it didn't happen that way. It was normally six months. Hmm. What, um, right after high school, did you, did what were you doing before you went to the military thing? So I went to Maplewoods Community College there in Kansas City okay. for a semester. And then my grandparents withdrew me when I disappeared. Okay. I just, I moved out of the house while they were out of town for a weekend, took all my stuff and just bailed and they cleaned up the mess. Okay. And yeah. which branch of the military did you? I was in the Air Force for 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So where did you do, where did you go ship off to Kansas yeah, so City I to went where? To Lackland Air Force Base. Um, actually, I came, I was in Arizona by the time I joined. So okay. I've been wandering around the country at that point. Um, I went to Lackland Air Force Base for boot camp. 
Then I went to uh, Monterey, California to learn Arabic because we were in the middle of a whole lot of stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan wasn't a thing yet. Um, and then went to Fort Meade, Maryland, which is about two hours north of here for four years. And then I went to RAF Milden Hall in England and I flew missions over Afghanistan, over Iraq, spent a lot of time in sandy places that don't like women. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. you, you, what, what years were you were going in and out of Iraq? Um, 99 to 2002. And, uh, like what was your role? Uh, so I'm an, I was an Arabic linguist and I'm basically, I'm sitting in the belly of a plane with a set of headphones on listening to people speak and warning pilots, warning ground forces, really just keeping our guys safe. Wow. From 40,000 feet. Wow. Oh man. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've, uh, uh, and I've done a lot of humanitarian work in the Arab Muslim world, but I have not been yeah. to Iraq. I've been, been in Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Palestine, Egypt, Dubai. Um, and I, you know, I, I was almost finished a PhD in the Hebrew language, which is a Semitic language, right? It is. Same, yeah. same family as Arabic. And there's, right. there's, there's some loan words, I mean, that go both ways. You know, there's a lot of Hebrew words that are the same word in Arabic, right? Right. Um, because of the Semitic language. Anyway, just, I, I'm a bit of a language person too, with my theology, you know, Hebrew, Greek, you know, French, different yeah. things like that for theological studies. But, but, uh, that the number one place I worked was in, uh, the Arab Arab world. And then also I worked in Ethiopia a lot. And then the national language of Ethiopia is a Semitic language, which is very unusual. It's called Amharic and it's, it's part of the Semitic family, but at any rate, enough language stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, for for all the (laughs) linguistic nerds out there. Right. Yeah. Well, so uh, you you served in the Air Force for ten years, right? Okay, you know when I when I was in Hampton, Virginia, I was on staff at a church there, and the uh, one of the top Fulbird colonels of Langley Air Force Base was in my mm-hmm. church. Became a good f- friend of Colonel Tom Shutt, uh, and uh, that was TAC headquarters. It was Tactical Air Command. And so I, yeah. I got to know a lot of the, the tech guys, but that was like in, in 80, the late eighties when I was there. Okay. So not too long after that. Right. Right. Cause it was 92 when I left. Okay. To go to, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so you served over there. What else, what, what, what happened after, after your, your missions into yeah. the middle East? Well, so that broken little girl that was running around doing all those destructive things was the one thing I took with me into the military, right? So I'm in Monterey, California, which is incredibly beautiful. If you've never been there, I'm learning a language, which is kind of like being in college. I'm getting paid for sitting in class eight hours a day to do something I'm already good at. So it's easy and I'm bored. And so I'm drinking, I'm partying, I'm chasing boys and I get married to my first husband and we continue on to, um, to we're in Texas for a short time. And, and the, the way that I tell the story is I went to Monterey and I got drunk and I woke up in Texas and got sober and found out I was married. <laughs> and, and he was a great guy. He's always good to me. He was never a bad guy. I was such a train wreck. I was a terrible wife. The best thing that I contributed to that marriage was birthing our son, Aaron, who is now 20, well, he'll be 26. And just continued the destruction, right? So the divorce happens, I fall into a depression, start chasing boys again. And then this friend of mine introduces me to her friend and I meet my current husband. And it was one of those moments, like I knew that I knew that I knew 
the moment we met that there was something different about this guy. And we've been together for 22 years. Wow. Where did you meet at? Is it in? We met at Fort Meade. Actually, I can say this. Um, we met at the smoke area of the National Security Agency. Wow. <laughs> Not a lot of people can say that. But right. So we were in the same business. He was the active duty Marine. And there's something about Marines and those uniforms that drive us girls crazy. And But we met and... Yeah. He had his two boys. I had mine. And then we have our youngest who's now 21. Wow. Where, where's your husband? What's his first name? Leroy. Leroy. Where is he from? Where'd he grow up? Uh, Barberton, Ohio. Okay. Near. Okay. Yeah. And was he, and he's a career military guy. Is that right? He is. He left for boot camp three weeks after high school graduation. He knew from the time he was like eight years old, he's going to be a Marine. He is a Marine's Marine. Wow. And still, All day long. Yeah, that's what he's still doing. He's still in the Marine. So he, he and I actually both work um, for the government in a different capacity. We're not active duty military anymore. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. We've been a couple places. He's got 60 some odd countries under his belt. He's oh. been doing a lot of things. Wow. Yeah. I need to do, uh, at the end, we'll do a bonus question round with you. Um, okay. Just fun questions. And there's one of the questions like, yeah, anyway, I'll get to that. But yeah, so, all right. So let's uh, let's start moving toward uh, this, uh, how this story intersects with, with Jimmy Bratcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a seven-year-old, maybe eight years old, I asked my mom who my dad was, and she told me three things. She told me his name, she told me he had long curly hair, and she told me that he played guitar. And I stuck those things away and just held on to them. And over the years, I heard a whisper here, a whisper there of, of hey, I ran into Jimmy Bratcher. Hey, I heard Jimmy Bratcher's a preacher. Hey, I heard, you know, those kind of little things that it's small town, right? So everybody knows. This is why you're um, living in the Kansas city area. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and my uncles, my mom's two younger brothers were the same age, right? So they, and they all played baseball together. So they all had, when they were kids, they ran together. So it was not abnormal for people like, Hey, have you heard of what happened to so-and-so? And so that was really the only thing I ever heard until my younger sister is sitting in this church service at St. Louis Family Church. And she's hearing this, this story about this little boy praying for his daddy to come home. And, and, you know, dad told you a little bit about how they reconciled and were remarried to each other in that little church. Right. And she's sitting in there and she's so moved by the story that she starts messaging me she's blowing up my phone. Like my texts are just going and going. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, just tell me that like, fine, just tell me, I'll look the guy up. And she tells me his name. And I'm like, there's no way there's no way that this is possible. This is not, not only is this not okay, but the, I don't even want to hear this. And she keeps talking. She's like, no, you got to hear it's so good. It's so whatever. And she's really talking about the music and the story and how God worked. And it was so beautiful. And and I'm like, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't care. And she's like, what is your problem? And I said, that's my dad. And she says, no way. That's not your dad. And I'm like, it's my dad. She finally believes me and says, what are you going to do? And the answer I gave her was nothing. He hasn't wanted me all this time. Why would I give him the time of day? Uproot, up, uproot my whole life? completely turn it on its head. Like I was absolutely not having any of this, but she felt compelled and she reached out to my mom and said that they need to know each other. And for whatever reason, my mom felt compelled to do something and she emailed them. And so it's the middle of the Daytona 500 and my Marine husband is a diehard NASCAR guy Dale Earnhardt Jr., Dale Earnhardt Sr., like, it's the Daytona 500. And 
I get a Facebook friends request and I'm like, babe, I need you to pay attention to this. And he's like, woman, the race is on. What's wrong with you? And at that moment, I know that I can't not do something about it, but I don't do anything about it right then. I freaked out. My dad called it panic. Um, I would call it panic. I mean, there's not really any other word for it. I was hysterical. I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, go ahead. No, I was going to, so just to give a time perspective, because, um, so you, like when you're living in Liberty, when, you know, from the time you were young till you were 20 and went to the military, you would every now and then hear a word or two about this Jimmy guy, but you never, during that period of time, you never had any inclination to try to get a hold of him. Is that right? No, no. So my friend, um, my friend, Nikki, uh, We've been friends since we were kindergarten and we had moved away for a couple of years and come back to Liberty and we're sitting at a party and I've got a bottle of something in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And she's like, what would you do if you ever met your dad? And I said, I'd punch him in his bleep, bleep, bleep face. And she's like, really? Absolutely. Later to find out that she's my cousin. Crazy. Right? That's Nuts. crazy. Nuts. Yeah. So, the, so think, so then you go into the military and then what, 20 years later or something, 15 years later, your sister is sitting in a church service in St. Louis. 17 years after I joined the military. Yeah. Okay. 17 out years. Of, out of the military. I work for the government. I'm, my yeah. kids are almost grown. Yeah. Like, you're not hearing anything about this guy that 17 no. years and you're not career. Like, no, yeah, you're not I thinking have, about I, him. You, you know, none of that. Right. No, so all these years later, your sister's sitting in a church service in St. Louis and starts blowing yeah. up your phone. Yeah. So, uh. so with that, once the emotion of it all started to settle a little, I really could tell that God was really trying to ask me for this box, right? I locked all those daddy things up in a box, like shoved it way down into my heart, never to be seen, never to be addressed, never to be open. And God is like, mm, actually, I want you to pull this box out because we're going to unpack this stuff. So for the, the time that he said I was silent and in panic, I really was leaning in. Okay. So you really want me to do this thing? Then let's do this thing. And I started seeking some wise counsel. I, you know, longtime friends, pastors, I don't know what to do. How do I do this? I had one of my closest friends actually met her dad at the same time. So we walked through this together. I mean, crazy stuff. Yeah. And, and so like, at this point you're talking like you were seeking God, but like what your faith journey, when, like what, when, when was that even a part of your life where you would have been processing these right. things with God? Where, where, yeah. what, what about your faith journey? I'm assuming you didn't, when you went into the military, you weren't like seeking God. So I have always believed in Jesus. Always, always. Um, my grandmother and my my grandparents were in church. We did not go to church regularly. We were in church for a little bit. But so I had some as a little bitty kid, um, but, and there were Bibles everywhere, but faith wasn't something that we talked about. It wasn't something that we did, but Christmas was about Jesus and Easter was about Jesus. Right. But, but that was really the only time we ever expressed any real faith. Okay. But in 2007, I started seeking and my, my firstborn, my son, Aaron, from my first marriage, we moved into the house we're in now. And he meets this, there's this pack of children, like a swarm of locusts. That's all teenage boys. And they're like, mom, mom, I want to go to this youth group with these boys. And at this point I've been burned by a couple of churches and hurt by a couple of people that were Christians. And I'm like, I'm checking this church out before you're going anywhere near it. And I walk into the church service and right in front of me 
is a woman that I was in the Air Force with. We partied together. We were crazy together. And she is on her journey into ministry. Hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. She, she invites me what no, no ministry leader, no pastor would ever do. She invites me seeking not really a Christian baby Christian onto a leadership team with her because she knows there's no other way that I'm coming to the table. Hmm. And so my discipleship journey really began then. And what? So at this point, I'm a couple years, this is a couple years later that I find out about dad. My sister's in this church service, right? Okay. So just, just two years before this, this, your sister's in the St. Louis church service, listening yeah. to Jimmy, just two years before that is when you really began your discipleship journey. Is right. that right? That's absolutely okay. right. And, and, and I was not really committed. I was still showing up to church with a hangover and still having big, big drunken parties at the house. And like, there was, so there was still a lot of chaos in my life. Um, but it, but God continued to pull at my heart. Right. So I'm in church every Sunday now I'm I'm in and out of Bible studies and, and just kind of, I'm just showing up. And in 2010, um, my father-in-law is dying of COPD and I'm in hospice with him and I'm praying and I'm so mad at God at this point because my grandfather is old where his dad is dying. And I'm like, really, God? The only daddy I have, and you're taking him from me. And so I pray this prayer to God. I'm like, who's going to be my daddy now? Hmm. And it's a year later, almost to the day, a year later, that the friend's request comes in. Wow. Ah, that gives I mean, me chills. <laughs> it's crazy. You can't, we could not have designed anything no, like that. No, no way. way. No way. Wow. Crazy. All right. So you're, you, you hear from, you get a friend request from your dad from my, <laughs> causes from you a, this panic, but you're seeking God and you're trying to get some wise counsel. So where, yeah. where, where does it go from there? So I begin to unpack all this stuff in my heart. Right. I begin to lay before God all of these daddy things like I and, and in the email, when I finally wrote dad, I talked about it. I knew you would never see me dance. I knew you'd never see me graduate. I knew you would never walk me down the aisle. And now here you are. And it's not it's not bad, but it's hard. And the little girl in me wants to run arms wide open and the woman in me wants to know where you've been and why now, but thanks for showing up. Like I was so, I just knew that I didn't have any other, I had every choice, but I knew this was the only choice I could make was to say yes. Wow. So I'm, so, you know, I've, I've read the, your book, the little girl wins. Okay. Yeah. And you, you guys have put all of this email, Facebook, whatever correspondence Everything. in the yeah. book, which is, yeah. I was, I was crying reading the book <laughs> before I was, <laughs> before I interviewed Jimmy. Right. But this, this, long email that Jimmy sent you on March 8th, 2011, where he's basically yeah. asking for forgiveness for not being there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long email, right? It's like in the book, it's like four or five pages long. Um, and, uh, but he picked up on that phrase of you or you, you, the, when you said the little girl in me wants to run into his arms, right? He did. And uh, he picked up on that. He said, Jessica, I hope the little girl wins because yeah. I know this. If your heart has room for me in it, 
I'm coming with open arms. Yeah. So I've never heard your voice. I've never seen your smile. I've never felt your touch. If you'll let me in, I'll never leave you again. I'm a father waiting for his firstborn child to arrive. Yeah. It's a miraculous thing. It's, it's one of the most, uh, I've heard, I've heard a lot of miraculous stories through the years, but this has a component to it that just, uh, that it ranks right up there at the top really does. So I'm so thankful that the little girl won, right? You opened, (laughs) you opened your heart up and you felt, and you really felt like it was God that was prodding you to move into this. Cause it didn't make sense otherwise. Like the, before we agreed to meet and even especially after we agreed to meet the stories of people, like when something's going on big in your life, people feel like they can come tell you all of the reasons why you should or shouldn't do something some kind of way. Right. <laughs> it, it's insane. I know people that <laughs> show with all these stories about why I should not meet him. One guy, one guy that my husband worked with actually told us, don't tell him where you live. Don't show him pictures of your children. Don't leave your wallet laying in front of him. Because when I met my dad, he stole my identity and we had to move. Oh, wow. Like another one talked about a restraining order or like I mentioned my friend who met her dad at the same time. That's this pastor friend of mine that helped me on my discipleship journey, right? Her dad died. She met him in time to walk with him in faith to his end and walk him into the arms of Jesus. Mm. And she only got him for just a minute. And so, so many stories kept coming out and so many reasons why I should have said no, Mm. but I couldn't say no. Mm. God gave me the opportunity to give up being abandoned, being neglected, being overlooked and unlovable and unwanted in exchange for his best, which is loved in a family, wanted, valued, treasured, right? So so I got to exchange these, these things that were not good and hurtful and destructive and permeating every relationship of my life for things that are God's best. Only God could do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, so, um, so I think pretty, pretty soon after that long email that he sent you, you, and you're opening your heart up to this, um, you're exchanging more, you know, emails and stuff, but then it moves toward, actual meeting each other face to face. And I think wasn't Jimmy out on the East coast, like down in Florida or something doing it, doing. Yeah. He was um, on his way. He had been in bike week and then he was on his way up to South Carolina and he says, Hey, I'm going to be not really in your neighborhood, but on our way there. And if you're interested and we said, yes, my husband who would live in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by very high walls, absolutely you should meet him so we did uh, so, you know one of the amazing things to me about this story is how how the other family members have responded like yeah. your husband like jimmy's wife like jimmy's kids jimmy's sisters your yeah you know your family your kids that yeah. i mean that's a that's as that's as miraculous as just the two of you getting together. Absolutely. It's um yeah, like your husband doing that with all of his background and everything. That's like not normal. That's not like he'd no. be he'd be wanting to protect you, right? 
from yeah. potential harm, potential whatever, right? Yeah. So. I mean, and that's the thing that's crazy to me too, right? Um, I call Sherry mom. Which is Jimmy's wife. Yeah. Because she opened her heart to me in that way. I was knitted into their family. We were knitted together like a family, like we had always been there, right? And I talked about that box of all those daddy things. And when I gave that over to God and we're standing in that parking lot and they get out of the van, I want to beat him with all of the revenge, all of the justice, all of the, where have you been? Why haven't you been here? I mean, I looked for all of that, but God had taken it from me and said, no, you don't get that. You get this. Oh, and not only do you get your daddy, but you get a mom and a sister and a brother and a niece and a nephew. And, and, and I mean, it's like we were always together. You know, we talk about our first Easter together and I gave dad the mug with the daddy names all over it. And I can seriously say that in that short time frame, God had already knit us together as if he had always been a part of my life. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, so your, so your kids are, if I, if I'm remembering right, were the first time Jimmy saw your kids was were, were they playing in a band at church or something like what? So, yeah. So my firstborn, number three son, Aaron, what is a guitar player, and he's standing on the stage playing worship songs in the youth worship band, and, that- and he burst out into tears. Like he walked in and just started crying before they'd ever even spoken. Wow. Did that. So you met, you met in, uh, you met at some restaurant, right? For the first time. Yeah. And loudest restaurant in Virginia. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then how long, how much later was it that he, that he was, he, he met your son in that church band <laughs> thing? The next day. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's where, like you talk about how everybody else is miraculous, right? Mm-hmm. My working remotely, he's not, he's living in Charlottesville during the week and coming home on the weekends says you should have them follow you home so they can meet the boys. And so they meet us. Like I come back up here, we meet up at this church at our church he meets the younger two and then they come back to the house and meet the older two. And we sit around the table and have dinner together over the course of two or three days. They met everybody. Wow. And then when did you finally meet the rest of his family? Not until uh, Memorial weekend. And we all came. Was this right? 2011 so, Memorial Weekend, 2000? So the first time you met was like first, in March or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we, all six of us, which is a feat to get the six of us all on a plane all at the same time. And we go back out to Kansas City and here you are. Wow. And that went well. It went Amazingly. Yeah. Like they call the boys, call them Grammy and pops. Like Aaron and Jacob, the younger two, they're, they're mine. And they, of course are going to, I mean, they're still really young. Jacob's just a little guy. He's only what, 10. So he falls right into this is Grammy and pops, but the older boys who are my stepchildren, it's Grammy and pops. Hmm. Right. Even as so our middle two boys are Marines, Seth and Aaron are Marines. And Seth was going to visit his mom who happened to be in Kansas city, visiting her family. And he made time while he was there to go see them. Like he doesn't have to, but that's the way God did it. Mm. He just knit us together. So that's been 10 years ago now that you guys had that, 
huge family time and Memorial weekend. So what, like, what are some of the, the lessons and some of the, some of the things that you, that you love to share out of this whole experience? Uh, one, one thought I have, I just want to inject is that, um, in, in working as a pastor for 40 years, one of the things that I, my dad's 86 and I talk to him every day and, uh, he's been one of my greatest fans. I love my dad, you know, and, I um, but, uh, I, I found along the way, it was shocking to me at some point, like when I was in college or seminary, like in my early twenties that I realized, Oh, not everybody has a dad who loved, loved them all the way through their life. Like my dad did. Right. And I, I remember yeah. a speaker one time I was in a men's meeting pretty large group of men. This is in my early twenties. Right. And he asked how many of you had a father who was distant, absent or abusive. And I'm, I'm sitting there like, no, I don't know. You know, and I'm thinking pretty much everybody else would be the same way. And over 50, about 50% or, or more of the hands went up in the room. Yeah. And that, I remember that was the first time I went, oh, that, that's what all of a sudden I started dialing into that father wound thing. And so I'm just kind of curious, you know, you've had, you've got 10 years of, of living in, in the light of this experience. What, what, what kinds of things do you like to share with people? What kinds of things have you can, you learned from it? Yeah, I think the first thing I learned um, on the faiths in the faith perspective is that we have a tendency to put our earthly father's face over God's face, right? So when we're learning about who God is, we tend to, to put that. So if our father is absent or abusive or, or neglectful or, or whatever, we tend to view God through that lens. So whenever we're reading scripture, it's hard to see that God is loving and good and faithful and consistent because God is, we can't see God as our father. And so this has been an incredible journey for me to be able to unpack that God is good and a good father. And this is a demonstration, right? So one of the things I hope people hear is that while their story may not be like my story, because not everybody gets the fairy tale ending, right? Mm -hmm. But God is still that good, loving, and consistent God. He is all the time. And he's just a father who wants his family. I think that's the part that is so easily overlooked. We get caught up in, in you know, old covenant condemnation, fire and brimstone, and that kind of deal. And, and that's not who God is. God loves us. He's gives good gifts. He doesn't punish and, and abuse us. It, it's just, it's, and it's a heart issue, right? If I hadn't given over that box of daddy things and given it to God, I wouldn't have what I have because I could have said no and I could have held on to it. And I would have been left with angry, bitter, wounded, abandoned, like, there's the list of names that I gave up that day is so long. Mm. And I traded them. I traded those awful things, those lack, all that, all that darkness for all this beauty of being chosen, being adopted into a family, being accepted and loved and cherished and so many things because I said yes to what God had for me instead of responding in the way that everybody around me said I should mm. or could. And even my own heart was deceptive and like, no, no, don't do that. That's a trap. Don't believe it. It's a lie, but it's not a lie. And I get to live that every day. Yeah. I mean, I talk to him three, four times a week. We text all the time, drives my husband nuts. <laughs> get the family group text message going phones blowing up <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm sure you've had the opportunity to be in groups and you know you have women 
out there that are even listening right now who 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 have who, whose fathers were absent, distant, abusive, or are ab- still absent, distant, abusive, and they hear your story and maybe they're like, oh gosh, I wish that would happen to me, or you know, um, what ha, ha, what uh, what do you like to share with with women whose hearts are are still wrestling with that that yeah that father I mean, wound i think the the recently i was um talking to a girlfriend of mine and she said what do i do and i said you know god gives us examples everywhere of who he is look for them The scripture very clearly describes who God is as a loving and good father. But look around you. He gives us all these examples of people in our lives who take that role for us. When our own may not be able to. That's one thing. Because that helps us not focus on what we're lacking, but focus on what we've been given. And the other thing is that God wants to fill that void. You know, we talk about Jesus as the groom, the bridegroom, right? And we're the bride. And he's talking about the church, but he's also talking about us as individuals. Like he's standing on the dance floor, holding his arms out saying, come, come dance with me. Let me be that person for you. Let me be that boyfriend, husband, father, whatever that is. Let me fill that void in your heart. Let me be that source. Mm. And our only option is to say yes or no. Because mm. he doesn't force his will on us. He doesn't make us do anything. Mm. We get that choice. So my question to them is, what will you choose? Yeah, beautiful. A father to the fatherless is a right. uh, passage from the Psalms that uh, is something that is, you know, is part of who God is. Um, Yeah. So, well, that's, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. So uh, you, are are you, you guys have done the book. Um, Is it, do you guys speak occasionally at, at the same events? Is that what, like, I'm just curious. And are you still, are you, what kind of what kind of ministry and work are you has this given you the opportunity for i guess maybe is the way to ask yeah so um a couple things so we have spoken online and in person at several churches we've got um, a date coming up in september in fayetteville arkansas um we're definitely interested in doing that more often i mean any chance that we can get together it's a blessing to me Mm. because i love being with them face-to-face and in person and being so far away. Um, that's definitely a door that was opened with this book. Um, this podcast was total surprise. Love that. Love yeah. this. Having a great time. I know. Thank definitely you. do. I love it. Thank you so um, much. And I think this story has given us an opportunity to speak into our individual lives too, right? Not even just at churches or large venues, but I mean, I share the story once a week, at least with people that I know at work or at church or, and, you know, I mean, I share it, with, I shared it with a lady in the grocery store line the other day. So it's, it's just a powerful story and there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. It's cool. So when I interviewed Jimmy, I didn't, I didn't realize. So the, so one of the gals that was in my church for, for years, um, cuts my hair and her name is Vanessa and she has a salon in Kansas city called gravity salon. And I had no clue that she knew Sherry or I think she does Sherry's hair actually. Right. And, 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 and it's a, you know, she has, and so I didn't, I had no clue that this story had circulated around, uh, 
the, the gravity hair salon. And, and so my, and like, I was just with Vanessa last Friday and we were talking about, she said, I remember when Sherry came and first told me this story and I, she was doing her hair and they, she said, we were both crying, you know, <laughs> and just, just things like that. It's kind of fun to, uh, you know, hear, hear how a story like this, where it goes and how, how it touches yeah. people. It's beautiful. Thanks for yeah. taking time and, and sharing it with us. Absolutely. My it. privilege. Yeah. Absolutely. My, so what's yeah. the, what's the website that should they go to Jimmy's website to connect or. Okay. Yeah. And remind yep. me again, what his website is. Is it just Rev? It's his name. Jimmy Bratcher.com or is it Bratcher.com? Okay. Cause I think he has Rev Jimmy Bratcher dot com and Jimmy Bratcher. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Jimmy Bratcher's the one to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation. Or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.